Yeah, it's it's this notion that uh, a man can write a story about a family or a marriage, and it'll be considered a, a work of literary, like of literary merit, like worthy of critique and review. And a woman will write the same book, and marketers will say, "All right, this will sell well if we put a field on the cover and some like laundry and sell at airports, and it'll sell well." Hey, so I have a surprise this week. What is it? Uh, I did the cut sheet, and I think this episode will be under an hour. That would be the first time in a long time. So let's do our best to make this intro as long as possible to completely negate all the good work that you've done. <laughs> I'm going to talk really, really slowly and pretend to be Jeff so that it just sounds like Jeff. What did you do this weekend, Jeff? Uh, this weekend, I like, totally broke out. I had like 16 dudes over. We cooked out on the roof, which was pretty dangerous. Drank a lot of stuff. <laughs> peed off into a restaurant backyard. It was pretty standard. It's kind of accurate. I was I was at a bachelor party this weekend. <laughs> I knew it. I called it. So there's no rooftops that I can remember. Um, but you definitely peed off something that was high. I woke up in a hotel room that was not mine, and it wasn't with a girl. I was on some rib. No, I was on like uh, my, my my the bachelor from the bachelor party. I was on his couch in his hotel room when I woke up. Well, that's a lot less exciting than I initially thought it would be. But you know, it just shows you know what the weekend was like, or maybe a little bit about what you're into. But who do we have on the show this week? Dana Schwartz. And what's she going to talk to us about? Uh, she is an arts and entertainment writer for New York, the New York Observer. Uh, and she runs a couple parody Twitter accounts, which are hilarious. Guy in your MFA, Dystopian YA. Uh, she tells us just a ton of really crazy stories. Like, you know, she basically made her own. She made a Google like survey to find a boyfriend in New York, which worked super well. And it worked, right? Yeah. And I mean, she'll get into it. I don't want to give it away too early because um, it's you know super funny. But uh, she was also at some random program at NYU um, and a woman that Salman Rushdie was with was assaulted right in front of her. So she had to give a police report uh, in front of Salman Rushdie um, and was just like hanging out with him for like 20 minutes during this like really terrible experience. And then she gives us uh, a story that I don't think anybody's going to want to miss. Let's just get into it. Today on the podcast, we have Dana Schwartz, who, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but just started a new job at the New York Observer. Yep. Okay. Monday. Congratulations. Thank you. And you are arts and culture writer? Yep. Okay. So what, like, what, what are you going to try and do while there? Uh, what, like, what's your focus of coverage? The, the amazing thing is I have an incredibly free uh, beat in that I can write sort of about anything related to entertainment. So I think my best writing comes about when I write about things that genuinely interest me. Mm -hmm. So good TV, what I like about TV, feminism, comedy. Today I had a piece about um, – I was an intern on The Late Show, Stephen Colbert. Uh -huh. And uh, so over the past like eight, seven or eight months since it's been on the air, they've had nine uh, fiction writers on the show and they've all been men. So you you tweeted just, about all nine of them. Do you can do you recall them all? Yeah, I probably could do them. Uh, Jonathan Franzen, John Irving, uh, Joseph Fink, and Jeffrey Craner, who wrote the Night Vale book. Um, Wait, there's an artist with or there's an author with the last name Craner. Yeah. Oh man, that's my last name. It you might think have been we're related? you. Did you write that book? <laughs> it's. Uh, did you just find <laughs> my pen name? This whole podcast is a sham. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You want the rest? You want the last five? Yeah, I mean, if, if you can... got them, but... Ethan Hawke wrote a novel. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, 
Does he Stephen King? Maybe uh, Stephen King, George Saunders, and then like probably one more d- d- celebrity who I'm forgetting. I mean, but, they're yeah. all they're all great writers, but fantastic. But, but just have have one one also woman. Seth yeah. Meyers has been fa- is fantastic. He's had a ton of female novelists on. Mm-hmm. And, and and Jennifer Weiner tweeted your article, right? Yeah. And she she's kind of a, a huge advocate for this. Yeah, it's it's this notion that uh, a man can write a story about a family or a marriage, and it'll be considered a, a work of literary, like of literary merit, like worthy of critique and review. And a woman will write the same book, and marketers will say, "All right, this will sell well if we put a field on the cover and some like laundry and sell at airports, and it'll sell well." But it will not reach the same level of literary prestige. They'll call it chick lit or romance instead of yeah. you know, literature. The same book they would put like a shirtless man with long hair and <laughs> yeah. abs on the cover. And right, um, Meg Wallitzer in 2012 wrote this. Who wrote the interesting? She also went to Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote this phenomenal essay for the New York Times Review of Books about about covers a little bit, mostly about this issue, but like how male authors their covers just have like big words a lot of the time. Which shows you that it's like serious. Yeah, they'll just be like the w- big titles and the big name. While women will be like a little cursive and like a woman's profile. Freedom or the corrections or purity or but right, you only can, Jonathan Franzen. You so. can just picture like the big words. It's literally just purity on the on the cover. Romantic relationship, <laughs> Jonathan Franzen coming this summer. I've always been fascinated by um, this conversation because uh, Jody Pico is actually. Um, not a client of mine, but of my company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she is, is very much a part of that conversation. Um, and it's, it's – it, I'm, I'm very torn on, on my thoughts because, you know, sometimes the writing is different. Sometimes, most yeah. of the time it's not, but – No, I mean, and Jody Picot – Picot? Picot? I, I always say Picot, oh, but, um, but I, I actually, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll just say Paco so I feel fancy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's levels of literary merit. One could definitely argue that she's more in like the James Patterson school. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a million incredible female fiction writers. I mean, Lauren Groff, mm-hmm. Fates and Furies. Obama I, called it her fav- his favorite book of the year. It was so good. Yeah, like Emily St. John Mandel wrote Station Eleven. Which yes, is that book phenomenal. was fantastic. But that, that, that is one book that I would consider, um, you know, Straddling the border of genre fiction, Station totally. 11. But like, it's it's. I thought it was brilliant. It was. It was amazing, and it was so funny because it's. For anyone who doesn't know, it's it's all about. Um, I mean, the main one post apocalyptic. Post apocalyptic, but the main you know band of of uh, of the protagonists in the story are you know these people who walk around performing Shakespeare. Yeah. You know when nobody you know has really access to it anymore. Um, Visit from the Goon Squad. I think my my major qualm and what I was sort of used the the Colbert thing as a peg for in my article is like we we make the male literary celebrity more. You know, mm-hmm. Jonathan Franzen is more of a figure than than Lauren Groff. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. Although so was Toni Morrison. Yeah, let's so. put Toni Morrison on more late night shows. Yeah. Wait, so so what's is there a goal? Like would you be really stoked if if Colbert has, you know, a female author on the show now? Totally. I guess it's just I don't think it was malicious. I think it's just I would love more people to be aware of of differences in perception and sort of the way that the way people imagine when the most people close their eyes and probably imagine like serious fiction writer, they'll picture, you know, a man with 
with glasses and a, a salt and pepper beard. <laughs> well, where do you? So it seems like there has been, at least recently, a lot of good press about female writers in terms of Lauren Groff. We've heard a lot about that book. Um, in particular, I think Donna Tartt won yeah. the Pulitzer for the Goldfinch. Yeah, right? but she and actually McWalter goes in this in her essay like uses goldfinching as the as the verb. How like a lot of critics tore it apart as really? chiclet, even though it's like a really wonderful, well developed novel. The way literary critics with like a capital C have approached it has been well, I mean, disheartening. They have been getting – you know, female authors have been getting a lot of like really great attention too though. Yes. Um, I, I, I am blanking on her name but um, A Little Life. Yes. Um, she was on Seth Meyers. Yes. OK. So and you know her, Lauren Groff, Jennifer Egan. Um, I mean a, a thousand more that I, I'm, I can't tell you right now off the top of my head but – which is probably the problem. Um, <laughs> But that that's great. I really feel like we're at a major turning point, and I just want it to keep going and people yeah. to be aware of where slight missteps are. Yeah, so, that was going to be my question is do you feel like the tide has turned recently or are we still head, headed in the wrong direction? I think – you know, I, I, I feel horrible that I have to now be the mouthpiece of like where feminism and fiction is going because I'm so <laughs> peri- peripherally related to the publishing industry. Uh, but from a layperson's perspective, I think it's – a tide is turning, but um, it perception and like inher- like people's intrinsic slight sexism, which everyone has, takes way longer to catch up. I think the biggest problem within the publishing industry is just that, um, you know, whenever there are new imprints that are coming out nowadays, they are created with a bent towards marketing to a specific set of people. Um, you know, there's some really amazing things happening, you know, that are promoting people of color and, and you know, minority races and that kind of thing um, and women. But, uh, you know, it, nobody I, – I feel like nobody really has the formula yet. <laughs> there so. was uh, – did you see New York Magazine is having a new, like, vertical called, like, beta male that's focused on, like, male personal writing? <laughs> and they're like, women oh, – so, so every media company ever <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. Well, Wait they were like, minute. women have been killing the personal essay. And it's like, because for so long, that was like, women could be taken seriously and have a voice. Like, yes, there's sort of a reason women have been steered towards memoir, because the same reason they've been sort of steered towards writing about home and the family and romance and relationships. Like, write about your life. Don't write about society and politics. They're, they're calling it beta male? Yeah. I mean, they... I, I, no comment on that. That is... You said New York Magazine. I am like eighty-five percent sure. I mean, I love everything they do, and but they spit out a new vertical like once a week. Yeah. Um. So what? Uh. You you were an intern at at Colbert. Yeah. So like, how did that affect the piece that you wrote? Oh God. Well, so that was the horrible thing. Like, I didn't want to feel like I was biting the hand that fed me because I I really loved it there. Mm-hmm. I it was the best opportunity to get that job, and the writers were warm and kind to me, and I learned so much. And Stephen is is the nicest person. Um, Would he come into the room, in the writer's room, and you know, hang out with you guys? I was not a writer. Oh, okay. But yes, he would. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I, I did not write on the show. I got coffee and restocked the kitchen. Oh, well, still worth did it. Did he hang out in the intern coffee room? <laughs> was he out there, like, stocking shelves? He was, with like, you? wearing a mustache and, and also restocking <laughs> coffee. He's just so helpful. He's a constantly undercover boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was it. I didn't, and I didn't want the article to come across as attacking at all. Uh, but as I did leave the show in December, 
I had emailed uh, the booker and let her know my concerns Mm -hmm. and had like a a giant list of female writers that I would love to see highlighted. Wait, prior to this piece? Yes, in in December or something. Uh, And it was sort of dismissed. I think her answer was something like, um, writers come on the show when they have a book to promote, as if like no women have books to promote. Um, And just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, That's so interesting because I'm on the other side of that. I'm pitching authors for this show. And, uh, I mean, if you get a response at all, positive or negative, you're stoked. Um, it doesn't really matter. You don't – like I, from my point of view, like I never look at it as if like, oh, it's only male authors they're responding to because they respond you know, so infrequently that like you don't even pick up on that from, from my side. Oh, yeah. And I don't – That's that was the problem. Like I don't think it was anything malicious or conscious. I think it's just sort of reinforcing, like, oh, more people know Jonathan Groff as Jonathan Groff. Uh, <laughs> I wish. He I was also on The Late Show. Uh, more people know Jonathan Franzen as, like, a serious author, and people don't really know Lauren Groff. Um, and so they're, they're going to, you know, put uh, Jonathan Franzen on the well, show. Franzen's been around a lot longer. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, it's sort of like, I, I get what you're saying. That's it's it. like they're the, just, the untalked about perception that just sort of bleeds its way into the mainstream culture. It's yeah. like you're not looking for Lauren Groff, so you don't find her. Well, the downside of all of this as— And it just it self-perpetuates, right? The yeah. more late-night shows— Jonathan Franzen's on the more late night shows he'll be invited to because mm-hmm. then he's a celebrity author and the the pop celebrity intellectual author role has more often been assigned to men. And and, and it's funny totally. because now he's the scapegoat. He's the he's the person that you use it every <laughs> well, time this conversation of, he's comes sort up. Of obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, yes, I know. I, I I always feel like he got you know the the bad draw on this one, the short end of the stick because he is. Um, he is a great writer. Yeah, no, and I, I read Freedom and the Corrections. Have not gotten to Purity yet, but um, if you're listening to this, my my apologies, Jonathan Franzen. Yeah, if, if he's listening, then I'm going to be like shouting from a rooftop. But <laughs> um, uh, Jonathan Franzen, tell all your friends if you happen to hear this. Yeah. It's the best, po- best podcast. Jeff is a staunch Franzen defender. I, I mean, I wouldn't even go that far. I do think a lot of his stuff is is garbage. No, and, don't, you know, don't, no. don't go there. Jonathan, we take it back. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally using him as a stand-in. Yeah, for well, and that's what everybody does. But So tell us a little bit about how um, you got to now because you, you actually, I read, um, wanted to be pre-med. Yeah, I was, I was pre-med in college, which was a crazy thing. Uh, so so I, I, I actually came into college as a physics major and it lasted one physics class. <laughs> I was the, I just like was, nope, I would not be happy here and I changed my major. Um, so yeah, my first three years of college, I was like pretty formally pre-med. I worked in, in labs wow. through the summers, like like pipetting. I'm doing a pipetting gesture you can't hear on the podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and There's just, a lot of thumbs. And I was doing this like rationale in my in my head. I was like at a stage of grief. I was at the bargaining stage with myself. I was like, just go to med school and then you can end up like Michael Crichton. Like then you, you can write. You can also write on the side. And I was like bargaining with myself. And then my senior year, uh, Brown, they have no core requirements. So once you sort of finish your own requirements, you can take whatever you want. So after I was sort of done with my major, which ended up being public policy weirdly, um, I took a ton of fiction and writing classes, and from that uh, emerged this uh, Twitter account called Guy Near MFA, which uh, was sort of while I was in my head being like, maybe I should do an MFA program, and then sort of getting fed up with the culture. <laughs> um, and it, it took off, and for the first time in my life, I was like, maybe I'm funny? Maybe that's something I can do? 
Um, yeah, it's weird, right? And then, so I was a senior in college, which was a year and a half ago. And I thought, all right, you know, I'm, I have one life. I'm young once. I'll just give everything I have to see if this works out. That's the title of your novel, I Have One Life. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the title of my inspirational romantic mm-hmm. novel. Yeah. Well, I mean, so uh, I, I want to wait a little bit to get into the guy in your MFA because it is hilarious. But um, so you you were at Brown. You were taking these writing classes, which, um, you know, Kyle and I have both taken and not at Brown, though. No, just to no. Be clear. But yeah. still, it's you know, it's 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 very. Well, you need to wear your ascot at Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tr- very different. Than you have your polo other. and your boat shoes, and you oh, know, God. Uh, are neckerchiefs frowned on? <laughs> <laughs> but no, you 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 know, you show up, and it's always the same the same idea. It's people write these stories. Most of them are probably about like you know a breakup that they had or something. Yeah. And you know, everybody is critiquing their stuff, but nobody really, like, has any <laughs> advice that's any different from anyone else. Yeah. Um, You're like, who is critiquing this? This is the blind leading the blind. I think okay. my main problem with the writing classes, at least at Ithaca, and maybe you can help me f- figure out whether or not this is universal, was it was a lot of the blind leading the blind. It was the professor saying, all right, we've got this class. We've got 15 people who clearly care about writing. What did you think of what you wrote? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Come on, man. I don't want to know what this guy thinks of He's pointing this to me. terrible thing that I wrote. It's Jeff, <laughs> well, yeah, example. It's, it's like the classic workshop structure. Yeah. And uh, especially in like an intro-level fiction class, my experience is, is people don't don't really know all the time, right? I feel like I would just sort of say things. And God bless anyone who took my critique to the letter. But, right, you read it and you're like, oh, I didn't quite get this. And maybe because you've had read it like five minutes before class. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're dealing with college students. Yeah. So you you had you know this experience where you're a senior and you had all this crazy success in in the social media world when it comes to like humor writing and stuff. But you're also pitching yourself to write these freelance pieces for you know all of these websites yeah. all over the place. And wh- I mean, what was that kind of like? You, you know, did you came up with these ideas and you were just emailing editors blindly? Yeah. So, I mean, I really am like a an ask for it kind of person where like if I want something, I will angrily go after it and, <laughs> and email people way above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I, I started with Mental Floss where I ended up working when I graduated. And I just emailed them with a bunch of pitches and said, I want to write for you. And I also do Guy in Your MFA. If you've heard of it, it has this many followers and I love your website and can I write for you? And they said, sure. And that sort of, the door cracked open. I was like, oh, people just can write. I'm allowed to write for websites. Were, were they paying you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, not, uh, not a, but not, yeah. Not, not, for, not nothing, but, you know. Um, for a college kid, it was great. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I have a lot of friends that kind of got their break that way. Um, and <laughs> I asked, my first interview I've ever done was with Joss Whedon. That was the first was interview the first... you ever did? <laughs> yeah. Because I read that story today, and you start with mentioning how you got the interview, which is that he followed you on Twitter. Yeah, I literally just DM'd him and was like, "Can I interview you?" Oh my and he God, waited, that's and then I tweeted like some like past like sad thing like three days later, 
just like, oh, eating ice cream. And then he, he responded, like, put, okay, just, just stop where, okay, fine, I'll do, I'll do the interview. And I was like, yes. That's awesome. And so that was my first interview. So that was also, right, it gave me just a, a totally wrong perception of how everything would go. Now, why, was he following <laughs> you because you were just that good at Twitter? No, I think he was following, um, like, the Dystopian guy. YA. Oh, so you had already, I, okay, so the timeline on that is that you created these when you were a senior and then you started freelancing. Well, a bit. So, like, right, I... I start, I think after Gynear MFA is when I started freelancing for Mental Floss um, and some e-cards mm-hmm. and a, a few other places. But, yeah, that it was all the progression. I think I started Gynear MFA September of my senior year. Okay. And Gynear MFA, for anybody who doesn't know, is basically like a, a satire account on, you know, the random white dude in your MFA. I think. Yeah, just a, an over-arrogant uh, MFA student who thinks he's the – Second coming of David Foster Wallace. The bio is uh, two rewrites away from the great American novel. Yeah, there we go. And um, so you had like this astounding success on this account. Um, Was it an immediate takeoff? Uh, Like um, it was really surprising. But I I mean I'm a a blatant self-promoter. Like I I posted it on Tumblr and Reddit, which helped – but yeah, it was like that that like first or second night, it was like insane. I would just keep refreshing. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I've never it I'm so I hit that. That's gonna ruin it's, it's everything. Oh, it's, um, it's done. We're over. <laughs> it was uh it was like a drug, right? It's like the the likes and the attention. Yeah. Oh now I can't live without it. I'll I'll be an addict, right? Positive affirmation. Yeah. You're really, really good at growing audiences. Um, you, Thank you. you have, I'm just desperate for attention. Well, aren't we external all, validation. Well, we have. I mean, you have seventy plus thousand on on guy in your MFA. You have fifth. Is it fifty or forty? Sixty something. Sixty plus, something yeah. on dystopian YA. You have twenty thousand now on your own personal account. Um, are these all tools for promotion of like your work? I think they're. Uh, uh, I definitely use them because when I write an article, I'll tweet it out because hopefully, if, if audiences you know like me in small doses, they'll. Also be okay with me in larger doses. Um, but also I do it because sort of like what we were talking about with with uh, Reddit. There's like if you have an idea that you think is funny, you just want to see if other people think it's funny. And you actually got a book deal out of this with uh, dystopian, of. dystopian YA, right? No, it's actually just a, a regular YA book. Is it because you wrote Dystopian YA though? Not, it, not really. I mean I think it's because of all the Twitter Presences. I think they just thought I was a funny yeah. voice on Twitter, and they thought it might translate to the book and, world. And did it? I hope so. Yeah. When is the book out? I don't know. I don't have a published date yet. Is it not dystopian? Is it's it not, not? It's, it's not the story of the dystopian right, Twitter? It's not dystopian. I tried. That's another failure I, I would talk about. I would, I would read that. <laughs> that I, so what happened is I um, – if when we get into like the Twitter, that's – I did really try to turn either of my Twitter accounts into a book and no bites. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and another failure on the publishing world, I think. Um, <laughs> no, definitely a failure on me, like a 22-year-old college student who's like, oh, it's, a, it's a book. And I write, I wrote it kind of as like a, a straight YA book, just like the cheesiest one possible. And I think the satire was like very subtle. Right, because it kind of came really close to to being a to regular re- being a regular YA, YA book. That's got to be a fine line to tread, because so much of dystopian young adult novels now, it's almost to a point where it is a parody of itself yeah. already. Yeah. So I think that might have been the larger problem. Like in sm- in a sentence, if I tell you it's a parody, you'll get it. 
But right when I like wrote the whole thing, it just like wasn't slapstick enough. As it wasn't zany. So is that like sitting in a drawer somewhere right now? I well, probably or, or have like thirty pages of it on my computer. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So probably more. Yeah, <laughs> definitely more. So um, I have up till the test, right? So I have all of like the weird the setup in her hometown, where like we learned about her ineffectual parents for some reason and this like arbitrary system, and we set up the love triangle. Uh, and like the, the totally arbitrary rules of the society, I, and I wrote all that. The evil looming presence in the yeah. background, who is either androgynous or like just some weird amalgamation. Right? Yeah, just like a, a, a stern woman who's just waiting to engage with a sixteen-year-old. You're really good at being able to like pull out the pieces of of what one of these novels would look like, though. Um, <laughs> and I mean that's why the account is so popular. But um, you know, did your background help in that? Just in in the sense, yeah. That... I I mean, I read a ton of YA growing up, and I was a, a reading child. Um, I, for my sixteenth birthday, my parents gave me a signed first edition copy of Ender's Game. I love that. Scott Card, so cool because that was my favorite book. And then I found out that Orson Scott Card is just a, a terrible human being. Yeah. Um, Do you still have the book? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I'm not gonna like symbolically burn it because it, it's. I think I actually wrote my college essay on that, like how disappointing it was because really I right. I don't know if you remember like the details of Ender's Game, but I read it a uh, hundred times. Uh, he had an older brother and an older sister, and then he was special, and I have an older brother and an older sister, and then I really like related to this character, and then to find out that someone who is able to connect with you so much is just like a horrible person is kind of like a punch in the gut. Well, he had uh, was it Secret Meetings in the Enderverse? It was like a book of short stories that he he published after the fact, um, and one of them was like the uh, original version of Ender's Game. Um, I don't want to read it. Well, it's I mean like the I, I think he's a um, a Mormon. Um, yeah. And you know the values of that part of his life like really come through in that version. Yeah, well, I also, I love Ender's Game, and I've never read any of the sequels, even at the time before oh, I knew Orson's, because I, do you ever like something so much, you just want it to stay isolated and perfect forever? Yes, but I can't control my curiosity to the point where I don't go to that next level. I was like, it's not, this ending is perfect, I don't want to learn anything else that happens. In my mind, this is the beginning, this is the end, I'm putting it in a drawer somewhere, I will read it again and again and again, mm-hmm. but I'll never go beyond this. But I read um, in YA, like, right, I love The Giver, which yeah. to me is sort of like the grandmother of, of the dystopian YA tropes. Um, I I love The Martian. It's not quite dystopian, but The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even read – so I read Hunger Games. I even read the first Divergent. Uh, you couldn't get through it? No, I read the first one and had felt no desire to read any of the others, and that – Respect to Veronica Roth for writing it because it's so much harder to make something than it is to make fun of something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that sort of, to me, was the beginning of the end. So would you come— Of your love for YA or your reading YA in general? Sorry? The beginning of the end of your love for YA or, like, you're, you've oh. stopped reading YA in general? No, no, the, the, the dystopian society. Uh, I mean, okay. I, still, I still read YA. Like, I, I definitely cried in college when I read The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. Um, I, I I think John Green is incredible. Yeah, I he gets emotions. I, how can anyone read that and not feel something, even if you know it's coming? Paper Towns, I I, I read in one sitting, and yeah, um, 
and I mean that like is is not a book that if somebody told you the plot, you wouldn't be like, holy shit, that's amazing. Um, but then when you read it, you're like, holy shit, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, he's a he's a great writer. I'm I'm not a genre snob at all. I read you know high and low fiction. Uh-huh. Uh, I started a project. I'm sorry, I'm talking your ears off. No, no please. That's, that's, uh, that's, the, that's why we got you here. Yeah. I started this project just for myself. I might blog about it uh, when I when I get and I, I made a list of a hundred books that I want to read that I just sort of skipped or didn't really get to in high school. Like I was never assigned to read Lord of the Flies, and so I've just never read it. Or Pride and Prejudice, right? No one ever assigned me. No one ever told me to read Pride and Prejudice. Oh, man, read that one. I it's know. So good. And I, I, so some of them I have read, but just not as like detailed or as in depth as I should have. Like I. I did read Pride and Prejudice, but like a little too young to appreciate it. And same with a few other books on the list. What are some of the bigger ones on the list? Right to right now, I'm on um, Robinson Crusoe. Tristram Shandy's coming up. I think I put Jude the Obscure, uh, Beloved, Toni Morrison. I, I'm doing them chronologically, so I have a hundred. I was really careful to do fifty men and fifty women. Uh, and I, I tried to do one book per author, but some authors, there are exceptions. Is there, like, a really surprising name that's on that list? Oh, God. I put A Girl's a Half-Formed Thing okay. by Emer. I think her name's Emer McBride, uh, which is a newer book. I don't know. Nothing so surprising because I tried to stick to, yeah. like, canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and no translations just to make it easier on myself because or how would you pick 100 if it was the world of literature? So, yeah, that's that's, like, my own personal self-improvement project. Good for you. So when you read, do you, like, take notes or do you just kind of absorb it? I, I shook my head. I, I don't take notes. Um, just I, I can't. Yeah. Also, I have terrible handwriting. I think it's – I don't know. I've always had bad handwriting, but I've typed so long that now I, I was filling out – I just started a new job and I was, like, filling out my name and signature for paperwork. And it's like someone gave, like, a drunk rat a, a pencil <laughs> and was just like, do your best. Or just, like, taped it to the stomach of a small animal. It's atrocious. Run free. I, I always I always think back to that point when you're taking the SATs where they make you write a <laughs> in cursive. And the entire room just stops. And, like, you know, uh... they, they seriously give you, like, five minutes to do that. And it's one <laughs> sentence. Oh, <laughs> but... Um, so you you actually told us a couple stories before you know we turned on the mics that I, I would love to bring back up. Um, one of them was how you found your boyfriend, um, <laughs> yeah. and I bring that up mainly because you write a lot about like you know dating in New York a little bit. I do, um, yeah. So so how was it? How did you meet him? It was great. Uh, well, no, not the beginning. So I had a a boy that I was dating for a little bit, uh, who I sort of. I'm a really insecure person, right? So if someone of the male gender wants to spend time with me uh, and says, like, I'm attracted to you, I'm like, done. Let's – I'll – I'm there. It's a Uh, dangerous way to think. I know. It's a horrible way to think. I'm working (laughs) on it. Uh, So I was with uh, this guy for a little while who's not good for me at all and was polyamorous. So he was dating other people, which made me really jealous and angry even though I couldn't say it uh, because he had told me up front. But it kind of – yeah, it was bad. Uh, I wrote a piece about it. He broke up with me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, even repeating it, I'm like, oh, and I missed the chance to break up with him. That would have been so much better. And I was, you know, three weeks later, I was thinking, all right, time to get back in the dating pool. Uh, and I was thinking of, like, making, like, a, a Tinder again or, like, OkCupid. Okay and just the thought of making, like, another internet persona for myself was exhausting, right? Because 
an OkCupid like or a Tinder, like your bio has to capture you in some way. And I just did not have the energy to, to go through that. And so just sort of at like 11 or midnight on a, on a random night, just sort of out of curiosity and boredom, I made a, a Google form because I don't know how to make websites. Uh, that was just a, a dating site, but just for me. So, so uh, something you can only do if you're like prolific on Twitter. <laughs> you can always do it. I just don't know if you'd get the volume of response I was I was fortunate to get. Uh, so it had a few questions, and I tweeted it out. What were some of the questions? Um, do you like dogs? <laughs> Which I... my boyfriend doesn't. Really? Oh, I was just no. about to ask. Did anybody say no? Priority he failed. One. He honestly, like, like if you were to grade the, the answers, he screwed up everyone. It was fine. Uh, but, yeah, I, I wanted just to glimpse your personality. So it was about dogs. It was whether you thought it was weird that I was attracted to Kylo Ren. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, Murderer. <laughs> Space Nazi, right? I'm well, Jewish. He, there's also that scene in the beginning where, like, they kind of gloss over it afterwards, but he orders the murder of a village full of people. Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> It's just massacre. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Some of them were logistical. I had to ask if you were, like, willing to commute to the Upper West Side sometimes to see me. Uh, I asked how you feel about Tom Stoppard because Arcadia is my favorite play. I, I, I actually... Would have I would have passed this test with flying colors. We should go out sometime. Yeah, well, you have a boyfriend. <laughs> I do. <laughs> don't don't let him hear this. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell him never to listen to this. Uh, he yeah. So I I made that it was a few multiple choice questions, uh, and I tweeted it out just because I was like, all right, if if Tinder is a version of myself and people like it, like maybe someone who follows me on Twitter sees my random jokes and did, understands that did, I write about things. Did you ask for photos? No. I didn't ask for photos. Okay. Right? And good, I didn't good ask for, for age. Good for you. But I did go back. The yeah, ones I mean, you can obviously find it if yeah. you want to. So that went, was level two. Yeah. If if you I did like everyone who responded, I asked for your Twitter handle. Yeah. And I, like two hundred something people responded. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And everyone must, that must have felt good. Yeah, it's kinda of fun. Yeah. Uh, and everyone who responded, I did look at their Twitter and like was like, hmm, who who's this person? <laughs> <laughs> And I, there was, you know, a few boys who I was like, this could work. You live in New York. You seem showered. How many um, people applied that didn't live in New York? A you few, seem, yeah. yeah. You so seem like, showered is a good <laughs> standard. <laughs> they had to be funny on Twitter. I wanted someone with a sense of humor. And, yeah, I saw from the, the guy who had become my boyfriend that we had a, a bunch of mutual followers. I'd stalked him on Facebook. He looked cute. Uh, I asked the friends, I was like, so what do you think about this boy? And they're like, yeah, he's smart. He brews his own beer. That's kind of all I know about him. <laughs> I was like, I can work with that. Uh, and so I went out with him, and it was we hit it off really well. It was one of those dates where, you know, you didn't want it to end, and then by the end of it, you're, you just sort of are like, all right, no matter what we call this, like, we're dating now. Like, this is just, it's already done. It's kind of like the dream in New York. Yeah. Like, you don't have to deal with any of the dating sites. You make your own. Um, I know. It was the best thing in the world. I think you just came up with, like, the greatest app idea of all time. <laughs> if anyone listening to this can find a way to market that, just give me 50%. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's set in stone. Contract is written. <laughs> Verbal contract. Uh, how many followers did you have at this point? Like, what's the pool you're working with? Um, maybe, like, 17,000. Wow. Yeah, so so that's, that fairly, sounds like a, maybe re- a prerequisite for this app. It's fairly maybe, recent, though. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that's I mean that's awesome. Um, 
You also he's great. I'm really in love. I should say that I asked you out as a joke. Yeah, because I, I like him a lot. <laughs> really good for you. That's that's the, it's like the best meeting story. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of awkward to tell it a lot. I don't think so. I think that's <laughs> especially like five years from now when you know something like that is not like I. I was going to say weird, but it's not weird. Um, well, what do you think is awkward about it? I th- well, it's kind of like he applied to date me, which is sort of like a weird situation. I think it's almost weirder now when someone tells me that they met someone in a bar in person because I was like – what I was talking to a friend. and How like, did you know how many Twitter followers they had? Right. Like what is his online presence? He could be an egg. He could be like a pro- – like, like one of my friends told me that she met a guy from a bar and I was like, what? Like a stranger just came up to you in a bar and started talking to you? Ooh. So, so it, it kind of unrelated, but but also kind of related. You also told us a second story before we turned on the <laughs> microphone that had your boyfriend in it, which is why it's somewhat related. But um, tell us about that. Yeah, so that um, he was he went to NYU and he was in a sketch group. So he and I went back to see like the finale show of the sketch group at NYU. After the performance, we're waiting outside, um, and there was like another event in the building, and Sam and Rushdie comes out. You know, like, like esteemed author Sam Rushdie, and uh, he and I are just like, "Whoa, look over there!" It's, and he's Sam and not not only esteemed author. This guy like <laughs> is such in. This guy had a jihad on his head. Yeah, fought one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look at me. He had a. I think he still does. He does. I mean, they. There is a big story. It doesn't, right? No. Yeah, it's until he's. Yeah. Well, that's where I thought this was going when you told me the story. I we did too, and I I thought yeah just. So, it's under- so I, I interrupted. I'm sorry. So yeah, we he comes out with his um, very statuesque and striking uh, lady friend, I assume, and also another female friend. And he, my boyfriend and I are just sort of like like eyeing them the way you do celebrities. Um, we're like, oh, Sam and Rushdie. Is Midnight's Children on your list? You know, actually, it's not. Oh, you got to read that. It might be. If you oh, haven't, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say one way or the other because the list is published online, so someone could check me, but. I don't remember. It's too far down. I haven't looked that far ahead. Okay. Um, and out of nowhere, and it's like 11 something at night, a man comes barreling down the street and with like a look of pure angry determination punches the woman that's standing next to Sam and Rushdie and his wife like hard, once in the face and once in the stomach. And she falls and he runs away, and uh, Sam and Rushdie's girlfriend or partner uh, like goes after him and sends a guy on his bike to be like, follow that, that guy. Uh, the woman calls the police. And so then she turns to the woman who's just punched and is crying with a black eye, uh, turns to me and my boyfriend says, can you guys stay as like witnesses for the police? Uh, so we like come over. And then for like, like 15 minutes maybe, it's just me, my boyfriend, Sam and Rushdie and this poor woman who was just punched and who called the police who was crying, standing in a semicircle, uh, not sure what to do. We shake hands with Sam and Rushdie. Did did you acknowledge that you knew who he was? Yeah, I think he knew that we knew. Also, we had been awkwardly staring for like a a good little while. But right, we're standing, this woman's crying. We're like, nice to meet you. Appreciate your work. Thank you for your literary contributions. (laughs) She's like crying on the phone with with the police. Uh, She tells us later that it was like a stalker ex-boyfriend who must have been like waiting out and knew she would be at this party. Uh, I hope they catch the guy. 
But that is how uh, shook hands with Simon Rushdie. That's amazing. And that's a Monday night, right? Oh no, it was a it was a oh, Saturday. Yeah. I, I've I've seen him at a party once, and it was somewhat crowded, so I didn't you know say hi or anything. But... It's because no one got punched. Once someone gets yeah. punched, you can introduce yourself. Yeah, oh, it's good to know. I'm going to make a note of that. Um, but I mean, that's kind of amazing, and it's the kind of thing. And and you know, this is kind of cliche to say, but it's the kind of thing that can only happen in New York. Yeah. Well, also, right when like a curf- when the punch happened, and you you didn't quite. See, I assumed that it was the target would have been Sam and Rushdie, mm. but then he was just a peripheral witness to this, just like us. What a weird thing to what, share. What with was them. his reaction? Like like surprise and support. I mean, he's not like he didn't seem like an effusively warm guy. He helped her up and like, yeah. It's got to be hard to process that sort of violence. It's weird to see someone get punched by a stranger. Yeah. Well, so I know we're jumping all over the place, but um, you you told us in an email prior to this that you had uh, a situation when you were a student at Brown um, and your professor told you pretty much point blank that your writing is – does not fit the brown type. Well, he didn't say that exactly because that would be very harsh just to tell, say to a brown student. I think he was a visiting professor, so he didn't go that far. Uh, but no, he did. Um, I know I've told the story before, and I think because it's so like I was really taken aback. Uh, he was giving me sort of like like I, it was like office hours, so it's just me and him, and he was giving me sort of like dodgy critique, saying like, "Okay, it's sort of working." I was like, "But no, no, like what can I?" do better like at this point I had an agent and I was sending out proposals and like I really wanted like meat and potatoes like help me on this and I don't remember how we got there but he told me like your work uh might be like a commercial success and he meant that in the most dismissive way possible so (gasps) now that your work is a commercial success not yet Pretty much there. I, I mean, because if, if you're considering work, extending the boundaries to, like, social media and that kind of thing. <laughs> he um, would not have. He would be like, yeah, good for her. Good. That's exactly the success she deserves. Do you ever want to, you know, like. Not yet. Out? Right. No, I totally have fallen into his plan. He'd be like, yeah, she can be chicken right tweets. So I'll see her write a novel. If I, like, if I write a great book, then I'll rub it in his face. I, I had a. Si- Soon. I had a, I had a situation in high school where. Um, a bro- my, my, I have a twin brother, and he uh, wrote something wildly inappropriate in one of my essays, and I turned it in not because I didn't proofread it, and my professor gave me a zero on it. And um, what was it? What was it? What I, I can't say it. it it's bad. Give um, me a, a hint. It was sexual. Um, That's, that makes me want to hear it more. It's, it's the type of thing a teenage boy would write. I, I'll tell you in an after. essay. Okay, before we stop recording, because I am so curious. Um, and uh, she made like a big. Sh- it, it was basically my brother admitted to doing it, and then I still got the zero. And it, she made a huge showing of, um, like, oh well, if you had like you know proofread your work, this wouldn't have happened. Like you got a zero. This is your fault, just as much as it is his fault. Um, like if you did this in college, they would expel you. So I wrote a paper in college about what happened, and I got an A on it. Yay. And it took everything in my power not to, like, mail her a copy of this and be <laughs> like, hey, you see? Like, I didn't fail. I didn't get expelled. Um, so did you feel, like, 
you know, do you, do you feel anything like that towards this professor? Not yet, because right, he wrote like this critically acclaimed like work that probably sold like ten copies. It's like <laughs> halfway between poetry and prose, and like a, about a, it's a, a tense reflection on metaphysics or whatever. Uh, so right, he would be like, he, I have nothing to rub in his face yet, but yeah. maybe I don't need to. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's good to let things go sometimes. But there's, there, also... there's definitely people. Let's let's not say good to let things go. Oh, like the only reason I do anything is so that if my mom ever sees like my high school ex-boyfriend's mom at the grocery store <laughs> that like she can brag. That would be the best. It's That's fair. That's, I uh, mean there's also something to be said for like people tend to look down on commercial success a lot. But I don't think like there's the difference between critical and commercial success is a fine line to begin with. But – I have a soft spot being that I'm a huge fan of movies and things like that. I find it difficult to watch uh, films, and I'm doing films with air quotes, which you can't see, like experimental stuff that is very critically acclaimed. So I, like, I wonder how you feel about being labeled commercial as a derogatory thing, having found commercial success now. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not there yet at all. And I will say, as someone paying rent in New York City, I will take any level of commercial success <laughs> yeah. anyone wants to bestow upon me. But like I said before, like, I don't I don't think I'm a genre snob at all. Like, I love literature and all, all you know, sci-fi and YA. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like movies that more and more people think are dumb. Like, I... What, like one of my favorite movies is The Truman Show, which is never not considered like a high movie, but I think it's like a perfect, it's so good. perfect movie. It's a classic. So uh, on that note, you um, reviewed The Magicians. Um, oh yeah. For uh, the Observer before I you did. worked there. So yeah, when I was still sort of freelancing for them. And um, I, you did not like a lot of it. Oh yeah. So this is. <laughs> I liked the books. And I like everyone involved with the TV show. And I think Lev Grossman, who's the author, is a brilliantly smart guy. He was on the show, too. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, he's awesome. So smart. And I, I interviewed him, and he just came across as as so smart and so nice and insightful. Um, and the show is was really ambitious, and I just felt like they missed the mark in their full potential. I feel like I'm choosing my words carefully because, right, it's like – I, I said it before. It's so much easier to criticize something. Like, at least they made this yeah. amazing thing. Amazing in, like, scope. And, uh, but no, it, like, it wasn't my favorite TV show at all. I, uh, I had a job that to- – that I had a boss that told me once that, like, you know, you created something out of nothing. You did something here. Like, don't worry if it's any good because, like, you'll only get better. Um, and, and that's kind of how I feel about a lot of things. Yeah, like, I'm amazed that TV show got made. Um, and just because I thought that sometimes like the arcs weren't fully thought out or like it's funny that's it, exactly what a lot of our friends say yeah right so. but like at least they like they made a TV show where we're like alright let's have kids do magic <laughs> at that uh, point you had on only sci-fi. seen the premiere though when you wrote that article it was, a re- was it just a review of the premiere or no, was no, it the first no I, I did uh, like almost every episode okay yeah. not so. I, I missed a few in there but I did. Uh, I got a good sample size. Well, I was totally going to ask you how you felt about how it wrapped up. Uh, yeah. yeah. About the same. It de- no. It, it definitely it middled. It it fell flatter in the middle and it picked up at the end. Uh, it was not my favorite TV show, but I have nothing but respect and admiration for the people who made it. Did you watch The Expanse? 
No. On sci-fi. No, I should. I right. There's more TV. I no need to one be has watching. seen the show. So, I mean, I, I can honestly keep going for the next five hours asking you questions. Yeah, we we should talk so, about TV later. Yeah. So I wanted to just get into you know the reason that you're here, um, which is uh, to talk about like the one story that you struggled to tell in the past, um, and it, it has to do with you know the guy in your MFA Twitter handle. Um, which again, everybody should follow because it's awesome. Thank you. But um, <laughs> you you told us a little bit about you know, kind of what happened after this thing you know launched to all of this you know, applause I guess you would say. Um, <laughs> but so so what what is that? Yeah, so that's something we we alluded to earlier is that neither of my Twitter accounts uh, turned into books, and that was something that I I totally tried to do and totally. Uh, there must be a metaphor there. Missed the target completely. I wish there was a more specific metaphor that I know, but my brain isn't working. Uh, yeah, no. So I was a, a dumb, ambitious college senior who sent so many emails to agents and Twitter DMs and was getting emails and just being like, I'm going to, I have something. People like it. I'm going to turn this into whatever I can. Like, if I can do this, uh, even if I've never done it before, I'm going to give it a shot. So I, like, researched how to write book proposals, and I was talking to a lot of agents. I got an agent, uh, and I sort of in my mind had this book that I was going to write, which was at first going to be, for Guy in Your MFA, a rewritten Strunk and White, like a guide to writing. That's awesome. And so I wrote – I think I have even, like, a full thing. I wrote, like, a – Parody Strunk and White Guide to Writing, but, like, how to write the perfect MFA book, right? Like, who the main character should be, how to structure a plot, what examples of metaphors are, uh, what your syntax and, and like, I even—so, like, right, the first chapter of Strunk and White is, like, like specific grammar rules. So I sort of imitated that in the structure and had, like, specific grammar rules. And, yeah, it, I, I wrote, like, a, a full packet. And— I was never more eager and impatient in my whole life, right? So when my agent approved it and said, this is great, people think it's funny, here's a list of, of editors I'm sending it to, I think, like, the most clicked page on, like, my Google that week, you know how Google has that that dumb thing to make people mad where it's like, you visited this page three times. And you're like, I know, <laughs> Google. Um, uh, so I think that had, like, a, a 26 times was this this article that's, like, how long do you have to wait to hear back from editors? Oh, my God. Right? I would just, like, refresh my email. I still do that, right? I, I have wrote a new proposal for a different book, and I'm still, like, refreshing. It's, it's horrible. I'm so impatient. But that was my life. Wait, what does it say? How long should you wait, according it, to this article? It, there's no good, right? They're like, sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes six months. Yeah. It, it is the least comforting thing in the whole world. <laughs> uh, and, I had, and then there were articles like, what to do while you're waiting? And I was like, I don't want to wait. <laughs> And then, like, slowly the responses would trickle back, and some were positive and asked for a slight change in tone, and some said, mm, I think people who, like, get the MFA joke are too narrow, uh, so we can't take it. And then some people wanted it changed, and were like, all right, we can't do, like, a strunk and white parody because that's not going to work, so write, like, a, a novel-style thing by him, like a memoir, like his memoir. So mm -hmm. then I wrote, like, a bunch of pages of that, and that did another full round of submissions. And the same thing happened where it was all, like, middling responses. And then another a response from someone who's like, all right, well, like, 
the memoir sections of this don't really work, but the I had like like fake drawings and doodles and ideas, which were basically stolen from Strunk and White but taken out of that format. And they're like, but that that section works, so build that and make it. So then I had it be like his lost notebook, and then I wrote like a whole other version of this proposal where it was like a fake notebook with like his notes and doodles and excerpts from his short stories and poems. And it went through the exact same thing, and then it just all sort of dissolved. And I was like, I went in with, like, so overconfident that this would turn into, like, an Urban Outfitters book immediately. I was like, I've done it. I will get a little money. I'll travel. I I will go to New York with my name on a book. Uh, And I just kept refreshing that email, and it never came. And then the whole thing repeated for Dystopian YA, right? Because then I had made this other Twitter account, and I— was like, I can turn that into a, a, a joke. Like, I, my life, my, my ambition, my dream since I was, like, three years old has been to write a book. And I was like, I can turn this into a book. Uh, and I wrote, we, I, we were talking earlier, I have, like, I have, like, 50 pages of a fake dystopian YA story uh, that just, it didn't hit the mark of, um, of, like, the right combination of humor and still likability. And, like, looking back on it now, I the problem was I was so impatient. I just wanted a book so bad, and I wanted to capitalize on any success I could get that I just was was turning things around and refreshing my email when I should have, like, taken a breath and thought really hard about exactly what I wanted to put out in the world and let that come. But it's sort of a... There's two sides to it, right? Because it's my, like impatient anxiety that that got me a lot of things um and like a lot of the reason that I have jobs I have today uh but it also sometimes leads to you I was just so eager to move forward okay you want this I'll change it I'll change it I'll, I'll do this I'll do that I'll do anything moving forward as fast as I could and then it burns out do you think that specifically with the guy in your MFA novel a lot of people you know kind of weren't into it because they, you know, saw themselves in it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I totally see myself in it. All the ideas, A, come from me, but B, are probably ideas that I, like, took pretty seriously at some point in time. Uh, so I hope that some of the joke is you get to, like, use him as a straw man to take out your own writing anxieties, which is how I use him. So I would have hoped that's not the reason. But it's, I think it's also because MFA is a, you know, in New York City where, like, everyone gets that, but... Outside sort of the literary world we live in, it's it's more of a limited character. Is there any, like, has it changed the way that you write the Twitter feeds at all going through this book process? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Maybe because I've spent so, <laughs> I've spent so long in the voice, maybe I'm better at it, I hope. Uh, or it, it changed, right? It probably became more subtle. I think at the beginning it was more, um, I mean, definitely if someone, like, I think at one point someone was like, the different person started writing these. I was like, no, it's just only me. Uh, but right, you live in a character so long, the tone definitely veers. There's some mission creep along the way. And however I was framing the character for the the book proposals has probably bled into the tweets. Do you ever think about like self-publishing it now that you have all this, this, this <laughs> I stuff? I don't want to do that. No? It's so much energy for what? Well, I mean, you could make some money. 
could do people make money self I will, I'm so, so I crave validation right I want mainstream I don't want the to promote it myself like self publishing is is an endeavor you can't just like put it out in the world and hope for the best I like if I were to do that I would like go through every avenue to make sure it succeeds and I don't have the energy I am so desperate for mainstream validation it I mean, seems like you, well, can, you can get it though well, it seems like that would be more validation. Like that, that would even be a greater validation. Self-publishing and then becoming successful that way is like a big middle finger to all the publishers who rejected it in the first place. You're like, look, I wrote this book, I created the market for it, and you were all wrong. I think it's clear that Kyle and I are much more like spiteful of people. I'll in send our lives. you a copy I, I if you want to so read many it. Grudges. But no, I, I really don't hold grudges to the people who turned it down. I just. I look back at like my younger self. My younger was a year ago. I don't. <laughs> I don't blame her because I'm doing the exact same thing now, uh, and I, if doing it again, I'd probably be as impatient. Like I would write it in a day and make the changes and be like, "All right, now it's ready." Um, but no, I don't. I don't begrudge. They're business people, right? If they thought it was, they never turned anything down because they didn't think that it was like funny or that I was talented. They just didn't think there was a market for it. Yeah. You give them so much more credit than I would. But that being said, like, do you think at some point you're going to revisit it and try to do the edits that maybe you were too impatient to get through the first time? Or is are you kind of a person who signs off on it once it's done? I don't know. I mean, I, I also don't really want to be known forever as, like, the parody Twitter girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, like, it's kind of pastiche, and I, I can do other things. I love writing fiction, and I want to write memoir, and... Um, they were a great jumping off point and they still are where I can send a lot of creative and comedic energy. But I think uh, I was insecure in my ability to come up with anything else. I thought the reason I was so fixated on, you know, making sure I could get a book out of one or the other was I thought, like, I had my idea. This is it. Everyone gets their one thing and, like, this is mine. But I think now I have... (laughs) So it's that idea, right, that ideas are limited in number, right? So you have one idea and you're like, I'm going to run out of ideas. I'm, I'm out. I'll never do anything ever again. Uh, but now I sort of see it's a, it's a renewable resource. Uh, so I think I'm less anxious about revisiting Guy Near Maffei and milking that as much as I can. I can say, this is a Twitter that a lot of people really like. And if something ends up coming from it, that would be great. But thankfully, I'm 23 and I'm going to have more good ideas down the line. What should we ask you that we haven't yet? Oh, God. Haven't I been... I, think, I feel like I've told you everything. <laughs> dun, dun, yeah. dun. No, I uh, it, I try and ask everybody that, but it has yet to make it into an That's well, like episode. interviewing 101 right before you're about to turn the recorder off. It's I like, always, is there anything you wanted to so say? So I, I started with The Observer. I'm interviewing, um, like, actors, which is great for me. because Anyone, I to, anyone fun? Uh, well, I've had like two. Okay. Uh, I was on the phone with Christina Aguilera on, on yesterday. Does her voice sound beautiful, like when she's just speaking on the, the phone? The same. It's, yeah. yeah. No, she's great. But I, the one that I am like a, I'm an Anglophile, and I always have crushes on like the cute British actors. Yes. And they sent me to. And, and Jon Snow. <laughs> you know, kind. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, they sent me to interview Ben Wisha. I don't yes. know him. Uh, Q from Q the new from Bond Skyfall, movies. Oh. but also he's in like. I love him because he played John Keats in the thing, the, the uh, poet. An ode to Fanny. <laughs> yeah. one, one of like three <gasps> poems I can like actually know. Yeah, it was about so. his love story. So that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, I asked him at the end, I was like, what, what do you hate being asked? 
and and he basically was like, oh, like when people prep because he's gay and and married, and he's like, well, I hate when people like ask questions about my personal life, but preface it with like, I'm really, really sorry to ask you that. And like five questions earlier, I had done exactly that. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, no, no. And he was the, the most polite person in the whole world about it. He also was really polite. Like uh, he was, he mentioned starring, uh, being in movies with, with Oscar winners, and I, at whether it was intimidating. He's like, oh, I've been within movies with, like, Helen Mirren and Judi Dench and, and Eddie. And I was like, oh, what were you in with Eddie Redmayne? He's like, the Danish girl. <laughs> uh, oh, my God, I, I didn't see that. And he's like, oh, don't worry, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ray, he was just, like, the most polite. I think one more is I, I asked him what he does to prepare for auditions. And he's like, I don't, I don't audition, really. In like the most polite way, in like the least condescending way possible. Yeah, he's like, that's beneath me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> people call me now. <laughs> and then he was lifted out by four people with an umbrella, yeah. right? Yeah. Like a magical umbrella. No, no, he had he had places. like a whole hut that they were carrying. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm imagining, yeah. like the way they uh, hoist Cleopatra. But no, he was like so polite for all of my interview gaffes. Well, no. so what what do you hate when people ask you? Oh. Nothing. I am d- d- desperate for attention and validation. Like, I want, yeah, nothing. So uh, where can we find you online? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Dana Schwartz with three Zs. Regular Dana Schwartz was taken. That, that's uh, on Twitter. It's, it's on Twitter and Instagram, which you should follow because I have, like, no followers. But I'm also very not funny on Instagram. It's like if you're really interested in pictures of my breakfast. <laughs> but mostly Twitter. That's where I get my validation. Uh, and from there, you can get to Guy Nermafe and Dystopian YA. My website is – this is really hard to do verbally, but it's um, danaschwartz.com.com. So like Dana Schwartz, my full name, and then D-O-T-C-O-M, and then a regular .com. It's because DanaSchwartz.com was taken. So I take what I can get. Who is this other Dana Schwartz? We I have to know. Find her. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're very nice and we take it all back. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to send her this interview. Um, no, it's funny. I was actually telling Kyle last night when we were preparing for this. I'm just like, dude, she's so funny. Like, look at her Twitter handle and her URL. <laughs> <laughs> He no. also tried to explain it to me before he showed me, and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, it. I didn't think it through when I bought that domain. No, I mean, it's awesome. Uh, it's fantastic. And, and it was funny second, once I got it. In the second you get there, you're never going to forget it. That's great. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. DanaSchwartz.com.com. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, we just learned how to develop an audience. I think we also learned how to find your next girlfriend. Yeah, we'll see. I like being, you know, a cold, lonely soul. <laughs> so, but, uh, but seriously, I, d- I did want to say, uh, you know, thank you all for listening. With every episode, our audience gets a little bit larger, and, and we're doing this for you. We're doing it for us because we really enjoy talking to the guests that we get into the studio, but we're also doing it for you all because we think and hope that you will also enjoy these conversations. And we hope, and I hope, that we're at least asking some of the questions that you want to hear and we're getting some of the writers you want to talk to. So if there's anybody you think we miss, uh, reach out and let us know. Yeah, uh, comedians, actors, writers, journalists, editors, you name it, we'll do it. Uh, we have some really awesome episodes coming up um, in the next few weeks. But I did want to give you all a little housekeeping. Um, Kyle and I are going to take July and August off, uh, mainly to live our lives, but also so that we can um, you know, collect a bunch of episodes that we'll be recording throughout the summer and we will release in the fall to make sure that we have just a really you know, killer few months 
of, of episodes. Um, but we're also going to be living our lives. Kyle is going to become uh, the new uh, Bob Iger. Uh, I'm pretty much going to build Pixar from the ground up with mm-hmm. this uh, new animation course that I'm taking. Jeff is going on a world traveling excursion through Peru where he might or might not be hiking and glamping, as I've come to understand it. What's glamp? Oh, uh, glamour camping. Yeah, glamour camping. Uh, well, no, I'm hiking. It, it's a big six-day hike, but it's also like the, you know. But you're staying in lodges and like. I've, I've been told luxury. maybe, but. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's bougie white people hiking. Like, it's it's what I do. Right, that's what glamping is, essentially. Yeah. So, but in any case, uh, thank you all for listening. You can find us online at www.podcast.com. Or on Tiny Letters, SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Medium.com, you name it. You can find Dana Schwartz online at DanaSchwartzDOTCOM.com or on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs or at Guy in Your MFA or at Dystopian YA. She's awesome and really, really funny. Every tweet uh, you read will make you laugh. So you should definitely check that out. And last but not least, I really wanted to thank Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Public Library, who's done the music at the top and the bottom of every episode that we've done on this podcast. And uh, he's just amazing. So if you have any audio needs, he's your guy. HollandPatentPublicLibrary.com. Tune in next week.